Well, Thanksgiving. You know, I have to tell you, uh, this week was, uh, I was referencing earlier that uh, I let some things wake me up early in the morning and keep me from sleeping a little bit at night to do with the project. And, and I often say that God is, is um, a little bit harsh with me sometimes. He, he makes me preach things that I'm not good at. You know? uh, he makes me preach on things that I'm still struggling with myself. The title of the message today is Don't Nest in Your Stress. Don't nest in your stress. I'm going to tell you that turmoil is a turkey and it can feel like doom is only a few days away. So stop it. Don't nest in your stress. Also, if you're dressing in your stressing, you probably feel like a turkey with just a few days left. Don't nest in your stress. Try thankfulness. Don't eat the crankberry salad. It's bitter. Don't nest in your stress. Try thankfulness. Sometimes it seems you can never get to the gravy. You're just served up like a dry turkey with nothing on it. Don't nest in your stress. If you want to turn in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. This thing, Thanksgiving, I'm thankful that, that there aren't twice as many congressmen and half as many doctors. Amen? Now, everybody knows I don't talk about politics from the pulpit, but I figured, Danny, I knew I'd get amen on you. I figured there'd be a few more just been waiting for me to get on the topic. Thankful there's more doctors and congressmen. I'm thankful there are only 24 hours available each day for TV programming. I'm thankful that children ultimately grow up and have children, and finally you're vindicated as parents, and they find out how hard it was to be you. Hey, amen? Amen. <laughs> Man, see, we must have more parents in second service than first because it was a little fuller than this, I think, in first service, and I got less reaction to that one. I'm thankful I'm not a turkey, especially this week. And I mentioned you in first service, Danny, because I figured you'd have a, a jab back on that one. I'm thankful that most cars still cost less than most houses. I'm thankful that the space available for messages on t-shirts and bumpers is limited. I'm thankful that hugs and kisses don't add weight or cause cancer. I believe that lack of hugs and kisses can cause weight, though. I will tell you, lack of can cause it. I think that I'm thankful that TV sets can be turned off. I'm going to get kicked here in a minute. <laughs> I'm thankful that no human being can turn off the sun, the moon, and the stars. Amen? You know, one of the common misconceptions, even in the church today, used to be just among unbelievers, but I believe it's crept in the church, is that, that God, we don't believe God is really concerned with what we do, we say, or what we think. I don't know how anyone could read the scripture and think that God's not concerned about, about what we do, what we say, and we think. But however, what we do say and think is all the result of the kind of attitude that characterizes our minds. You know, you know we know the character and nature of God is that he's, he's a good heavenly father. He's never changing. Those are characteristics tied to him that we know are always there. But did you know the English word for attitude comes to us through, it, it has French, Italian, uh, and Latin, but it, it's really, its root comes from a Greek word that means to fasten to, to fasten. That literally what you do, say, and think attaches to you. Now see, some of us thought that we could go through traffic, get mad at somebody, yell something out the window, and it's done. We're gone. We don't know them, right? 
But literally, the, the attitude we have, how many parents have told their kids, said, you better change your attitude. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, change your attitude. But sometimes, but that word means to fasten to. The things we do, we think, we, we say, they attach to us. In fact, Christians in past centuries used to discuss if there's any specific attitude for prayer. And, and so they were talking about when you pray, what attaches to you. And they would use um, thinking such as kneeling. That if, if, if it was, they'd ask questions like, is kneeling commanded? Are we supposed to kneel? They really wanted to know, what is my attitude in prayer? And sometimes it, the attitude describes any manner that shows one's disposition. We usually use it to identify the disposition itself. It's that when one's nature, their temperament, their frame of mind. That's their attitude. A tone in the way your kids respond may perk up and say, what's with the attitude? I need you to clean your room. Why do I have to clean my room? Or why, why do I have to clean my room today? But literally, sometimes tone, that how we attach to the words we say. And the book of Philippians is filled with exhortations uh, by the Apostle Paul to the saints at Philippi about having a good attitude. And when we say exhortations, that's just, uh, that's just a fancier way of saying encouraging persuasive advice. Encouraging persuasive advice. Like, kids, if you touch the hot stove, it will burn you, it could scar you. I'm trying to encourage you and be very persuasive that, that listen, it could scar you for life. But I'm trying to give exhortation. And so in chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul talks about his own attitude of desiring to magnify Christ, whether by life or death. Because the Apostle Paul knew as a believer that, that truly if you are in, alive in Christ, you cannot die in the spiritual sense. Your physical body can die here, but he had no fear of that. So he wanted to have the right attitude of desiring to magnify Christ, whether by life or death. And in chapter 2, he encourages the brethren to have the mind or the attitude in them that was in Christ. WWJD, what would Jesus do? We've almost made that flippant, but the truth is, is we really should be asking us all the time, what would the attitude of Christ be in this situation? What would Christ tell me to do in this situation? So listen now what, to what Paul tells them in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And this text, the Apostle Paul gives some specific advice on how to maintain an, an attitude that's well-pleasing to God, to have an attitude like Christ. Philippians 4, 4-9 in the ESV, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or in the NIV says gentleness, be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. That means that you're the same person behind closed doors as you are in public. That, that people don't see a different version of you when it's your spouse compared to those at church. Let, let the reasonableness or your gentleness be seen to everyone. The attitude of your heart to always continually be uh, displayed to everyone in reasonableness or gentleness. And it says, the Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord is with you. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. That's easy, isn't it? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, or in the NIV, by petition, 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's, here's the gravy for those dry turkeys out there. This is the gravy. This is what, when you pattern your life after Christ and you say, I'm going to have the attitude of Christ, this is what comes of it. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to stop there for a moment because as a young man growing up as a pastor's son, sitting in a service much like this and hearing this, I didn't really think about how peace, having it or not having it, really mattered. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you something. I, I wish I'd not seen it, but back when uh, the videos of ISIS beheading Christians uh, was on the internet and then taken off, but many people had seen it before they knew what they were getting ready to watch, and see the horror of that. You'd see these Christians literally going, getting ready to be beheaded on the sands of a beach and kneeling down peacefully, not screaming out for help, not, not trying to fight off their, their captors, but literally kneeling down in submission, ready to give their life and not deny Christ Jesus our Savior. To have that kind of peace. Young people, you, you think it's bad when you've got a bully at school who's treating me badly, and you're like, how do I deal with that without getting angry, without responding, without uh, responding negatively? Well, listen, the scripture tells you here, let your reasonableness, your gentleness, be known to everyone, even your enemies. The Lord is at your hand, or the Lord is by your side. That means he'll help you. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be known, made known to God. How many times are we angst about something? Are we rest? We're nesting in our, in our stress and we never took it to God. We just continue to try to handle our own and, and we don't think for a moment that God is there ready to help us with that and we try to take it on ourselves. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I can't understand that kind of peace that you're able to know that you're about to lose your life here that your family may see some kind of horrible act being done to you and it may scar your children, but you're leaving it in God's hands to the end. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever's true. How many knows we need some more truth in this world? Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That means more than your favorite sports game and your team winning. That means more than getting that promotion at work. That means more than anything else in the world. If there's anything worthy of praise, jumping up and down, shouting, and giving God glory, it's these things that God will bring peace to you in troubled times. Verse 9, what you have learned and have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. It takes practice. That means it's, a, it's a, a mentally active act on your part. You cannot just, it'd be nice if we could just say, hey God, make me into a, a great Christ follower. You know, just, just make sure you, you take care of my attitude and all the things when I get mad and somebody cuts me off in traffic when I get mad at a brother or sister in Christ over something. You know, just do it for me. But that's not how it works. You have to make a mental effort an actual effort to let God change you. Thanksgiving is much more than a holiday celebration. It's, it's, more, it's more than that. It's, 
It's a heart condition. It's more than a celebration of food. It's a celebration of faith. You see, Satan doesn't want you to have a heart that's free for God to bless you. He wants you to have a heart attack. He wants to clog your spiritual arteries with everything that he can possibly put in your path that's not good for you. Our lives are filled with worry. Do you know the English word for worry comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word which means to strangle? To strangle? Our kids went to their first wrestling tournament that they participated in. They went to one to observe, and yesterday went to Oklahoma. Big deal, it was crazy. It was just hectic. And one of the boys said that, that one of the kids put him in an illegal hold. So put him in a full Nelson, and that was illegal. Talking about how he thought he was going to hurt him, and and I remember as a kid, you know, having an older brother. I'm sure there's more than once that I was in a headlock. In fact, I think I remember one time and him on the bed with a pillow over my face, trying to suffocate me. And that that feeling of being strangled or losing your air. He's in the back, by the way, for those that don't know. But it's a panicky, panicky feeling. You you literally feel like should I? It's fight or flight. Should I? Should I fight? For my air. And, and literally, when we worry, how many would say when you're really worried about stuff, doesn't it feel like you're being strangled? Doesn't it feel like sometimes you're being physically strangled? That's really, being strangled is a really good description for, for the emotional pain that we feel when we worry. I mean, what's strangled is our peace of mind. There there's, is a way, however, to recapture peace of mind and, and of the heart and soul. And, and in the midst of our trials and tribulations, it involves a process of correct thinking, which will lead to correct living. You cannot just change your outward behaviors before you begin to change your thinking. Did you know that? How many has ever tried? I know when we moved here in sixth grade and I was moving to a new school and I wasn't a cool kid at the last school, I was determined I'm going to be a cool kid here. And I found the only problem is my old self moved with me. <laughs> and no matter how hard I tried to be something else, I turned in just a little goof kid that I was, right? And they started responding to me the same way they did, you know, just a little different northerners there and southerners here. But I couldn't escape what was habitual actions. But I have found that you can, if you change your way of thinking, you can change your behavior. We need to learn to think differently if we're going to act differently. And we can do this by learning to take every thought into captivity. The scripture talks about arresting stray thoughts. You can't stop all the thoughts. If you're getting bored with the sermon right now, you're already thinking about tomorrow and your stuff you got going on next week, and you can't really stop the thoughts from flying through. They've proven that scientifically. However, scripture says you can't arrest the stray thoughts, which means you can stop from dwelling on them. You can make a conscious choice to not dwell on them. We can think differently as we develop an awareness of God's presence in our lives and, and depend fully upon God and His strength to empower us to defend our hearts from worry, fear, and anything else Satan may want to use to turn our thoughts sour. As believers, Thanksgiving should not be reserved for one day a year, but, but for a way we live every day. Not just Sunday only, but, but a lifestyle. And there's a guy named Paul that, that changed the focus of prayer in Thanksgiving. He says, again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's not Paul's just suggestion for the day. He wants us to live a joy-filled life. 
a life so full of joy that the Lord is, that he splashes out, uh, it splashes out on those around us. How many have ever been around someone who is just worrywart all the time? They're on from one worry to another. Doesn't it feel like it's suffocating you? Like literally when you're around them, you feel like you're being strangled? And you just don't want to be around that because if you're, if you're a person who wants to have hope, it just drains you. Paul wants us to live this joy-filled life, but often Paul's comments are misunderstood here. In fact, I misunderstood them for a good part of my life. Because in James 1, 2, we're supposed to consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Man, I love it when I lose my job. I just, man, I'm just almost like addicted to losing my job. Actually, we might, some of y'all may know people that you think that's really what they're addicted to. But, you know, I'm addicted to, to just being in trouble with my wife. Most time it's because of the things I say in service. I just, I just love things going horribly for my family. You know, I just like the, the feeling of trying to struggle and, and know what it's like, you know, to get out of that. And then I just can't wait for the next trial to come along. Is it possible for anyone to count it pure joy in trials or to rejoice always? Is that even possible? I can tell you this week in parts of my life to deal with a building project, I didn't think so. Surely this is an impossible request in light of all the bad things in life. I remember when we stood out there at the project with 18-foot walls looking like, how in the world are we going to get the trusses on there? How are we going to, who's going to have to get up there? I'm like, you know, I'm not putting any of the RVers up there because I wouldn't put my dad up there. And so we go through this. And, you know, God sent high school students and uh, the Spanish-speaking church came and with people. And, Nick, and Jonathan came out and, like, could single-handedly, like, I think, throw two eight-by-sheet decks down, pieces of decking down. <laughs> Brother Orville's kind of grinning. He, he, he could move. But God, God provided and it got done. And now we're looking at this, trying to get this metal roof on. I'm like, oh, God, how are we going to do that? How, how is it we move from, from God providing in one situation, proving himself, and then just a short time later, we're, we're back to the same spot? Is it possible to rejoice in the trials? Well, here's the thing. We're misunderstanding it. It's not pure joy for the trials that we're supposed to have, but for the fruit that comes from them as we submit to God's work and his way of doing things in our lives. It's not even the good or the negative or the indifferent that we're supposed to rejoice in. It's not the situations that we're called to rejoice in. It's God who we're called to rejoice in. I lost my job, but God is my provider. And I rejoice in him because he'll do it every time. He surprises me. Struggle in my marriage, I'll trust God, I'll pray, and I'll have him lead me. And he'll come through. I got a promotion, great, but I always remember who my provider is. So even in the good times, in the indifferent and in the negative, I rejoice in him always. And that's what the scripture is calling us to. That's what Paul is is meaning. So it's not rejoice in everything, because how can you rejoice when your grandparent passes away? Well, they're a believer. I rejoice in where they're going, but it still hurts and I still cry. And you still feel that pain of losing them here and having to wait to see them again. So I don't rejoice that they died. Some of you are like, well, you didn't know my family. We threw a party and it wasn't celebrating their life. It was celebrating that they're gone. I've done a couple funerals where I kind of wondered if that was the case. But. So it's not rejoice in everything. It's rejoice in the Lord always. We don't rejoice in the positive things. We don't rejoice in the negative things. We rejoice in the Lord. 
It's because the Lord is never changing. Listen, I, I have seen people who have lived a, a, a blessed life and have followed Christ their whole life. And yet later in years, it's like they forgot everything that, they, that God did for them and become bitter and become confused about what the church is supposed to be to them and begin to be cranky about the things of God and, and begin to literally not be a force for the gospel, the hope of the gospel. But it makes people wonder, is that what being Christian is? Boy, that stinks. I don't want any part of that. Christian that's always negative and saying, hey, my God's a God of hope, but I, I can't see the bright side of anything. We lose our focus way too much and think about the wrong things. As Christians, we should not give in to worry and fear because the Lord is with us. We don't need to nest in our stress. It's, it's that if that's not good enough reason for us that God never changes, that he's always the same, the fact remains that most of the things we worry about anyway rarely come to pass. Listen to this. There is in the book Sacred, uh, Scared to Life, Victor Douglas Rumford cites a study that explains why we shouldn't allow fear to rule our lives. Now, now listen, if I've lost you any of this, listen to these statistics. 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. That means that they've discovered that 60% of the things you worry about have no basis to be worried about. You don't have anything factual, anything solid. It's something you've contrived. Oh, well, that's not true. There's a lot I worry about, and it's for real. Well... Listen to this, 20% are already behind us. That means we stress about the things that were already done. We can't do anything about it. They're done. We're just stressing about the fact they happened. I I've met people who they refuse to, to live for the Lord and to surrender Him because they're just still mad at Him. About 30 years ago, their parent died, and they just say, a good God wouldn't take my parent. And yet the Scripture says it's pointed to everyone to die. They live in a world where they see everyone dies eventually, but that's going to be their reasoning because they are, they are not set on, on the things of God. They're just set on worrying about the things that they cannot change. 10% of the things are so petty, they don't even make a difference. In other words, we worry 10% about the, of the time about things that won't even change our quality of life. They really don't even affect us, really. We just worry about them to worry about them. 4 to 5% of the remaining 10% are real, but we can't do anything about them. So we're worrying about stuff that it don't matter. We can't do anything about it. It's like when I worry about the rain coming and, you know, if we had lumber out there that wasn't on the roof that we didn't have covered yet. Well, it's not covered yet and it's going to rain and we can't get it done in time. We'll have to trust God that it won't ruin anything. I mean, but we, we worry about a certain amount of those things. That means that only 5% of real fears are something that we can do something about. 5% of what you worry about, you actually have some kind of chance of doing something about it. It's time we stop wasting so much energy on worry and begin to rejoice in the Lord. I'm preaching to myself. It's hard to preach these uh, messages where God's been whipping me with it all week. Paul says that we're to rejoice always. Paul is so adamant that he repeats it twice. And in Scripture, we know that when something's repeated twice, we're definitely supposed to pay attention to that. If it's said twice, it's not just for fun. He's telling us to, to be joyful people, but to trust in God. 
Satan wants to, you to focus on your circumstances and miss out on really living. And Paul says, focus on the Lord and rejoice. Then you're really living. Coach Jimmy Johnson, you know, it's kind of a loaded thing to bring up the NFL right now in service. I get that. But let's look back at 1993 when we didn't have all this mess going on in the media. And Coach Jimmy Johnson was asked what he told his players before leading the Dallas Cowboys onto the field for the 1993 Super Bowl. He said, I told them that if I took a bunch of two-by-fours and laid them across the field and asked them to walk, walk those things, walk a straight line on them, that they would be able to do it fine and wonder why we're doing it. But if I suspended those 30 feet in the air and asked them to walk those two-by-fours without falling, most of them wouldn't be able to do it because they'd be already worried about falling. We worry about things that, that haven't happened yet. We let them, let them paralyze us. My, bo- my, my kids yesterday in their wrestling match, we, uh, we got there and it was crazy, hectic mess. I mean, trying to figure out what mat you're supposed to be at. And all this. Later we found out there's an app. We could kind of see where they wrestle and all that. But um, Jen had to be with Lily and I had to be with the boys and run back and forth. And so the first couple matches didn't go so good for the kids. It was their first time. I told them, said, listen, you're learning. I don't expect you to come in and win if you do great, but I just want you to learn. There'll be other times for winning, but right now we're learning because this is your first ever. You've only been doing this a short time. I said, I'm, I'm going to be proud of you if you just get in there and try. And so they, they did, but, you know, they were taken care of pretty quick, you know. And so we're, we're waiting, and all of a sudden we realize one of the, the, the boys, their last match was like at the, almost the very end. We're going to have to wait this long wait. And I'm frustrated and all them. We found out you could look up the statistics on the other wrestlers and see their stats. And we realized Colton's, when Jim pulled up and said, look at this, Colton, I wouldn't just mention the name, but Colton's last person he was wrestling had been in it two years but had had only six wrestling matches and lost all six. We went to Colton and said, Colton, look at this. Your last person. Now keep in mind, I mean, it was like, not even a minute in the first, you know, the first ones that they were pinned down, you know. And I said, Colton, look at this. This person you're wrestling, they may have been in it two years, but they've not won once. He goes, well, I'll be able to beat them then. <laughs> and he got in there, and I mean, it was a battle. And that other kid was doing just as good as the other ones and, and using techniques, but it was different this time. So Colton realized, I know something about my opponent and that my opponent has never won. And isn't the same, the enemy? We already know the stats. We know he doesn't win in the end, but yet we'll worry about what he's going to do to us. In the meantime, that's what Paul's saying. Whether life or death don't matter. I know who wins in the end. And I'll fight tooth and nail. I'll kick the devil straight in the teeth, and I'm not worried about backlash because it don't matter what he does to me here. I've got an eternity with Jesus. But yet myself, this last week, why couldn't I get that in my head standing out there looking at that roof thinking, God, how are you going to do it? And we thought we had it all covered with paper and all this stuff, and I forgot about you need flashing, and it rained, and we got rain inside. I'm like, oh, Lord, what's going on? And, and stressing. And the same thing happened on my house three years ago when I built it. And the same thing's happened many times in my life. But I need to realize the enemy's already lost this battle. When God speaks something clear to your heart, you need to realize that you're on the winning side. One might ask, how are we to rejoice and live in a lifestyle of thanksgiving? Philippians 4, 5 through 6. Let your gentleness be evidence to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present yourself, your, your, present your request to God. I want to give you two keys 
I want to give you two keys here as we get ready to wrap up. I'm going to give you two points to this sermon. Easy to remember, and this is what I want you to take away from this passage. Number one, keys to, to having an attitude like Christ is guard your emotions. Guard your emotions. With everything we've got going on in the world right now, the church does not need to be reactionary to everything that hits us between the eyes when Satan rears his ugly head and starts coming at the church on Facebook or social media and we think somehow that we've been charged with this duty to just lash back out. But we have to stop, guard our emotions and say, what would Jesus do? Would he really have me say that? Or am I so stubborn and prideful that I don't want to admit that I'm going against what Christ has called me to do? That I'm actually battling against what God is trying to do. That I'm being a proponent, not, not for the gospel and the hope of the gospel, but to start a war that the enemy is trying to start. Guard your emotions. I, I wish sometimes, you know, I've been in that moment, you know, and, and we pick on social media a lot because literally it's like Brian Jarrett says, every time he looks at, he quit looking at Facebook because he thought he was failing as a pastor every time he looked at it. But, but listen, I think almost as Christians, they should give us the option that says, that says uh, um, self-control. Well, when you get ready to post, self-control. And you just be able to hit that. It says, okay, now, now it's going to make me use self-control. And what I say, because, because God wants us to guard our emotions, let your gentleness be evidence to all. Now, if Paul stopped there, then we would all say there is no use. We could just give up and go home. But he doesn't. Notice what he says next. He says, the Lord is near. It means we don't have to do this alone. And in Galatians 5, through 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? I got the same. Ken, did I not get the same participation in first service? I know there's more people that know the scripture in here. And what? Self-control. With still, there's something in your lips aren't moving. And what? Self-control. Oh, you mean I have to do something about my attitude? I have to do something about the things that try to attach themselves to me. You know, a nest, it's kind of interesting. A nest is made to birth things. You know, we're getting ready to eat some turkey, and, and uh, you know, a lot of the turkeys were eating. They didn't really get to have a nest. They got a contraption there. That's their nest. But, but really, it's to sit and warm things up, and it give life. And many of us want to nest things that are going to bring bad things in our life. We want to, we're birthing negative things from our spirit because we're, we're warming up to the way the world would handle things, not the way Jesus would. So we're nesting in our stress and that's producing, that's producing all kinds of mess in our lives. If Christians praise God more, the world would, not doubt, the world would doubt him less. I want you to think about, I saw a video where, where Matt uh, Redman, he sings uh, 10,000 Reasons. A lot of us are familiar with the song. He got an opportunity to sing that in Times Square with all those screams and then blaring all the, the things of this world and he was singing glory to God and people raising their hands in Times Square. If the church would focus less on trying to do these word battles with people and praise the Lord openly and speak of his goodness and, and encourage others that he's a good God, what could be done? I mean, we say it's obvious Paul didn't live in the 21st century, right? I mean, we've got lots more to worry about than Paul had. Oh, wait a minute. Paul wrote this from a Roman prison a real hellhole, and he did it from there. So I think Paul was probably in the best frame of mind to write this. Write this. How are we to guard our emotions and keep 
free from worry. Paul says, In everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Paul shows us a second key to living with a lifestyle of thanksgiving, and that's renew your mind. Renew your mind. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That means sometimes you've got to turn the TV off when you know it's not something you should fill your mind with. It means you've got to turn away when the world's trying to present you something that you know is not healthy for you or your family. You've got to be willing to turn away from the things that, that would entrap you. To nest in your stress, you've got to turn away. You have a choice about what you're going to let consume your thoughts. There's no way you can stop every thought that comes through your mind, but you can arrest them as the scripture says. You can keep from dwelling on them and you can dwell on the things that are pure and holy and righteous. Renew your mind. In closing, I want to give a last illustration. Out of the history of Napoleon in France, Leonard Griffith has given us a moving story of a political prisoner by the name of Charnay and he was someone who, by just something he said, which offended Napoleon, he was put in the uh, deepest, darkest prison, down in this damp place. And even though he believed in the Lord, as time went on, he got discouraged. He started uh, looking away from, from the encouragement of God's word and began to, to, to focus on his condition and where he was at. And he got so discouraged that at some point he, he loses his hope and he scratches this on the wall. All things come by chance to reflect the injustice that had come his way by chance. He sat in the darkest of that cell, growing more bitter by the day. But there's one spot where a single ray of light came in and just happened to shine on a place of dirt in between two of the, the blocks in the cell. And one day a little green sprout came up and produced this vibrant purple flower. And he nurtured it and began to focus on, on the goodness of having that flower. And it began to remind him of the goodness of God. And, and so he, he ends up scratching out all things come by chance. And he wrote this, He who made all things is God. Somehow through the guards and their wives and gossip, you know how it works in the community even at those times, Josephine, Napoleon's wife, she hears of this. And she thinks, how, how could a man who is supposedly so horrible has to be locked up, you know, care for such a flower like this, this little flower, and talks Napoleon into releasing him, and he gains his freedom. And of course, he takes a little pot, and when he leaves, he takes that little flower, scoops up plants in the pot, and he inscribes scripture that's referenced a couple places, but one is Matthew 6.30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God's in control. God's not overlooked you. You have to trust him. You have to renew your mind. You have to, you have to, you have to guard yourself against the things that the enemy would have you focus on and focus on that which is, which is of God. Guard your emotions and renew your mind. It's simple. It's just two things we can take from this passage and say, God, tomorrow when I'm challenged, you know, my challenge is still in traffic. I still have that moment where I want to, Jen knows, they're on my tail and it's nighttime and I'm getting older with these bifocals and so now all the lights look bright, right? Anybody identify? And so I found a little trick that I can take my motorized uh, mirrors and I can push them out to where that shines back in their eyes. 
So I get the side. So every time you're turning a corner, especially out where I live, it's like, phew, phew. and you have learned something. They'll be on your tail, and the next thing you know, they're like way back. But inside, I'm like, boy, if I could stop this car and they get out, I don't care how big a boy he is, right? Yeah, anybody ever heard of Roy D. Mercer? I don't care how big a boy you are, right? And, and that wells up inside us. We all have that, 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 that fight in us because we're fighting a sinful nature that wants to respond differently than Christ would respond. And we have to arrest that. We have to be willing to, willing to guard our emotions. I was at a Walmart uh, deal recently. Cephas spoke. He did a wonderful job. It was incredible. Big focus on adoption and foster care. And even though I didn't agree with the lifestyle of the person who they chose to speak on one thing, he made a mention about how people get offended about things. He says, usually I tell people, don't say the first thing that you think about saying. Say the second thing. And as much as I didn't agree with him bodily on a lot of other things, I would agree with him on that. You know, guard our emotions. The first thing that wants to come out of your mouth is probably not the thing you should say. Unless you're prayed up and the Holy Spirit's moving and he's speaking through you. And I want to close, I'm going to close for the second time with this. Philippians 3, 12 through 21, straining towards the goal. This is just earlier in the book of Philippians, just a little bit back. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting all that lies behind forgetting all that lies behind and straining toward forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17, brothers, join me Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told, uh, told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. For, for many of whom I have even to, uh, often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Again, in other words, if you connect and understand who God really is to you, and you know who loses in the end, then why nest in your stress? Why react the way the enemy would want you to react? Instead, trust him and understand that in the end, we're on the winning side. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for speaking to our hearts. Lord, in this week, as we focus on giving thanks and we get together with family, Lord, there's going to be some of us troubled by, by maybe the state of our family or, or nieces, nephews, cousins, aunts, uncles, Lord, that we're going to see maybe things that, that God, as we're growing in you, that trouble us. And we begin to worry about the future of our, our namesake. We begin to worry about those who are carrying on the name. 
Lord, I pray at this time that we find thankfulness not in the situation. We don't rejoice in the negativity or in what's positive, but in you. And let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Let them see that we have a peace that passes all understanding, that we are guarding our emotions, and that we don't just say whatever comes to our mind, but, but we're being led to be more like you. And so we guard carefully our mouths and our hearts and our minds that they may be, may be renewed by the power of your Spirit, that you're always with us. That it doesn't just depend on us, that you're there, that you'll help us. If we'll, if we'll, if we'll hold ourselves back and use self-control, that, Lord, the fruit of your Spirit will begin to be seen by those around us. And the hope of your gospel, the light of your gospel will be seen through the lives of those who are living it. going to reach the generations to come. God, I pray that those of us that have, that have grown older, God, that we would begin to walk in maturity through your word, God, that we begin to, to realize that, Lord, you've given us your word to learn and to, to exemplify. What an opportunity it is this week, Lord, as we get together with family and friends that we may only get together with once a year for your light to shine. emotions. Help us to be renewed in our minds, God, that literally there'll be a different scene, that when we get around those that hadn't seen us in a while, God, they'll see the difference of what your Spirit has done in us. And I thank you and praise you for it as we commit it, Lord, according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love y'all. Remember, no service this Wednesday night. We have uh, many people who are traveling and can be gone pretty much all of our ministry team, and so Spend time with your families.